Hello and welcome to this Gateway House podcast. My name is Shubhashish and today we have with us Ambassador Neelam Deo who was invited to be a panelist on the Bahrain Bay Forum talk organized by International Institute for Strategic Studies. In this podcast, we are going to be discussing the future of GCC countries given the political risks and the low oil prices governing in the world at the moment. Uh, we'll also talk about the global economic slowdown and the structural changes impacting the GCC. Neelam, oil prices have been all-time low uh, and they uh, continue to remain low uh, given all the geopolitical situations in West Asia. Uh, how do you think this is impacting the geopolitics in the region? So, uh, the fall in oil prices is completely unprecedented uh, and all expectations are that given uh, the how rapidly uh, technology for shale oil and gas is improving, uh, the pressures will remain downwards and the price will range at around uh, $50. It's much below that at the moment at 40 uh, The first thing that is being predicted is that the budgetary surpluses of exporters are going to turn fairly quickly into deficits unless they reform their economies and particularly reform the subsidies, the generous subsidies that they have uh, uh, given to their populations. Now, uh, this means a number of things. Uh, people in the, in the countries, particularly in the Gulf countries, are used to uh, not working very much and being paid quite handsomely. Also to, you know, uh, almost free uh, uh, petrol, uh, very highly subsidized water, electricity, uh, the state uh, provides education, it has built up uh, really fine, quite fine architecture. So all of these things are taken for granted and any reduction uh, could cause uh, a level of social unrest. So it's important how the state tries to reduce its subsidies but also who become the losers. Uh, that the people who begin to be re to receive reduced uh, benefits should not have particular sectarian uh, characters uh, characteristics etc so that's one aspect in the geopolitics the other of course is that the demography of the gulf it's among the fastest growing young population because birth rates are quite high uh, they are kept high also uh, probably for traditional and uh, and religious uh, reasons uh, but the one way to bring down uh, birth rates uh, may also call for uh, uh, adjusting uh, attitudes to, uh, to tradition and that is to bring uh, more and more women into the workforce. That has been seen to reduce birth rates all over the world. But these are all difficult uh, political issues uh, for governments to tackle. Uh, in the meantime, of course, the... Uh, the global economic uh, and political scene is not very favorable. Uh, there is, uh, you know, the fact of the slowdown of China, the end coinciding with the end of this uh, commodity super cycle. Uh, there is uh, all the unrest and which ripples out of the conflict uh, in Syria and the involvement of uh, major outside powers in that. And of course, uh, it, there is an overlay of uh, Shia-Sunni uh, differences in anything that happens in the Middle East. So it's a very uh, 
uh, brittle uh, situation uh, geopolitically uh, because the geoeconomic situation is so complex. Mm. Uh, you mentioned about uh, the petrodollars. Now, uh, petrodollars are slowly drying up, but these economies haven't really diversified in other sectors. Uh, they don't really have an option now but to begin doing that. Dubai is an example. They started a few years ago. Now it's a financial hub and a tourism hub as well. But how do you see, you know, these impacting the social structures in, 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 in Middle East and, and West Asia, particularly related to the modernization of societies and more rights to women? So, you know, some of the members of the Gulf Cooperation Council, like Dubai or like Bahrain mm. uh, itself, actually have a history. Uh, Arabs have been great traders in their history, so they could uh, pick that up. But that has also given the peculiar geo uh, economic situation there acted as a negative because the governments have done everything in the region because of this cornucopia of petrodollars. So they built the roads, they build houses and give it to the people, they build the educational institutions, they build uh, hospitals. So the private sector in these countries is, uh, if at all, uh, they are traders. Bahrain has sought to build, is now seeking to build itself up as a financial sector center uh, but obviously dubai is uh, much ahead all of them are beautiful they are uh, islands they are right on the coast so tourism is a great potential and i think they are all uh, all working on that earlier it was not really tourism it was people connected with the oil industry who would come in in quite large numbers but uh, I, I think most of them are uh, leaving aside saudi arabia which is of course the largest economy in uh, the Gulf. The others are quite open to tourism. So UAE, for instance, or Bahrain uh, are quite open to tourism and uh, have begun to develop their uh, their facilities as well, uh, including, you know, spots in the desert uh, are really quite uh, unusual and, uh, and very well done. I think those areas will, that will be the easier part of it. The more difficult part will be that if you are to diversify and become a more uh, knowledge-based economy and try to develop IT services, etc., or even financial sector, you really have to modernize education. Uh, education in uh, these countries, uh, to the extent that it is modernized, tends to be again distorted. A number of American universities have opened uh, campuses in Gulf countries, but then the uh, the the subjects available, the syllabus, the curriculum, all of that is quite Western oriented. Uh, and that does not help uh, in uh, getting assimilated into a people who are very proud of their history as uh, having been a highly knowledge-based civilization. In fact, having preserved Western uh, uh, and Greek knowledge particularly and transmitted knowledge from India to the West, including uh, the numerals. Uh, so uh, they, they have to uh, allow their own uh, genius also to be reflected in their education systems, but very difficult because it militates against what has been done so far, which is to pull in uh, Western-style uh, education. And, and of course, they grapple all the time with uh, the uh, attitudes towards women, though uh, women have access to education but then they don't necessarily have access to jobs after that. That is uh, also a matter of great frustration then for the women who are well qualified, well educated, though now the numbers in the 
workforce, uh, Bahrain is really quite high, more than 30%. Um, the, the numbers all over the Gulf are going up. The areas in which they're allowed to work is uh, are expanding, but that exactly is the crux of the problem, where they are allowed. Yeah. It's uh, so much a patriarchal and male-dominated uh, society uh, that, uh, you know, it uh, could easily be... Uh, uh, it could easily be destabilized. Right. Uh, you mentioned uh, Saudi Arabia. Now, uh, Saudi Arabia wants to play that dominant role in the region and now with Iran reintegrating in the global economy beginning December 15 when some of the sanctions are going to get lifted. Uh, Iran also feels it's that it's, it's a historical right to you know play a major role on global uh, politics. How do you see you know the paradigm shifting bet- uh, you know in, in West Asia or or the fight between the two? Well, right now it's in a situation of conflict. Mm. The Gulf countries led by Saudi Arabia were uh, vocally opposed to the P5 plus 1 nuclear agreement with Iran. That does not improve the trust deficit that exists between the Gulf and uh, and Iran. Uh, they were, uh, a, there is an overlay now uh, by analysts or journalists on the underlay of a Shia Sunni uh, differences. These are now getting reflected uh, over Syria, certainly where, uh, you know, the uh, the Saudis particularly, but some of the other Gulf countries as well, uh, are uh, deadly opposed to the continuation of Assad in power and have been supporting and nurturing uh, groups which are anti-Assad. And many of these groups are extremists, you know, including Al-Qaeda and their offshoots. And uh, there is, uh, you know, there are allegations that affiliates of ISIS or ISIS itself have also received money. In the past, Saudi Arabia has always said that it's not the state. It's independently wealthy individuals who give money to what they think are charitable institutions. I think the time for that kind of indulgence has passed. There is much more scrutiny now on that. In the meantime, of course, Iran uh, is uh, easily the biggest uh, economy uh, in the region. It also has a population which is more than the total population of all the Gulf countries brought together, most of whom are quite small, except Saudi Arabia, which has a larger uh, population. And while uh, Iran has suffered uh, grievously as a result of sanctions over these years, uh, it has also been forced to do jugad, uh, you know, to, so it has a thriving uh, automobile industry. Yeah. Uh, it's the third largest consumer of uh, cement uh, in the world. So it's not some broken economy in the way that, you know, say uh, Zimbabwe could be strangled by the West or, uh, you know. So, uh, yes, the competition is rife. It unfortunately uh, expresses itself in, uh, in religious uh, terms, including when... Uh, Almost 500 Iranian pilgrims died last in the last accident in Saudi Arabia, and there was a lot of unfortunate uh, name calling uh, there. So this is also reflected uh, in um, the uh, uh, war in uh, Yemen, where uh, uh, Saudi Arabia led the Sunni charge against uh, the Houthis, who they say are uh, being supported by Iran, which is likely. Uh, but whose uh, whose version of uh, of Islam actually their practices approximate more uh, with the Sunni uh, uh, practices. 
but you know uh, saudi arabia has a long border with yemen and it felt uh, it felt threatened and there certainly were some incidents across the border so uh, i think they are in the conflict phase uh, it is likely to rise because also the economic pain is beginning to be felt uh, in the gulf and uh, as uh, the economic uh, strangulation of uh, iran reduces I, already there are like dozens of european delegations there the chinese have been there earlier india has been sending delegations gateway house itself took a policy trip to uh, iran so uh, certainly iran is on the upswing whereas the gulf is uh, is on a downward uh, trajectory at the moment yeah. and uh, you know uh, coming to india now it's a very strange situation because india historically had had a good ties with iran as well now the ties are coming back in terms of oil trade but saudi arabia is also india's very close partner how do you think india should be placed or should be you know exploiting this situation where uh, it could get you know investments from gcc countries into india and at the same time maintaining its relations or improving with iran i think it's not so difficult countries like iran or saudi arabia for that matter are sophisticated enough to know that every country yeah. in the region in the world uh, does have uh, relations with uh, pretty much everybody else uh, saudi arabia itself for all the uh, decades that they maintained a pro palestinian position for example i had uh, contacts with uh, with israel and you know israel is now opening an office in the uae yeah. so the situation has gone uh, to that point uh, india certainly needs to uh, have good relations with both uh, on account of the uh, sanctions on iran india was actually getting 20% of its oil supplies from saudi arabia uh, we need we want to keep that uh, relationship going not only for uh, oil imports but also because there is a large indian diaspora working in saudi arabia uh, whose remittances are important for the indian economy the balance of payments but particularly for those families uh, uh, in india at the same time iran is going is a big market it's 80 million people it's uh, resource rich uh, richer than the other uh, gulf countries it really is bears comparison with germany actually in yeah. terms of the size and potential of the yeah. economy uh, i think that will no, it will not be misunderstood even though dimashes will be made mm -hmm. uh, by foreign offices of both countries uh, india will be just like any other european country wanting good relations with both saudi arabia led gulf and with uh, with iran uh, the united states will find itself in the same situation actually because their companies are just as eager to go into uh, yeah. into iran china already yeah. has uh, you know thriving relations with both yeah. iran and saudi arabia so india will not be doing something different from mm. what uh, other major uh, countries in the world are doing mm. uh, and lastly you uh, you uh, touched upon the indian diaspora in in saudi arabia and the gcc uh, region as a whole uh, nearly 33 billion dollars in remittances come from that region into india which is if you look at it you know around 10% of our total forex reserves with this oil prices falling and you know companies uh, cutting down on their workforces how is it going to impact indians who live in that region it's very complex because as the fall in the price of oil has benefited the fiscal situation in india the government's fiscal deficit has gone down a lot but uh, to the extent that uh, Uh, the price continues to decline and the pressure on these governments to indigenize their labor force 
increases as had has been happening very slowly in Saudi Arabia for some years now. Uh, there will be workers who will come back. But I think on that, if uh, the workers themselves and the government of India uh, are more nimble, there really are prospects in other uh, countries, particularly in Africa, where oil has been found and where a uh, well-experienced, uh, skilled workforce is necessary. So whether it's Kenya, Uganda, you know, uh, Mozambique, Angola, all of these, uh, Sudan, uh, these are countries which are hungry for uh, people connected with the oil industry. But obviously there are Indians in the Gulf who are not connected with, yeah. the, with the oil industry. They have made a, a quite respected place for themselves in the countries in which they have been working for some years. I think we will not see a sharp exodus, but we probably will see a, a slow uh, return of some of these workers over time. And that itself, because there is such a concentration of workers from Kerala and Mangalore, you know, on the west coast, uh, this will have an effect which will become visible uh, on in those economies. So, uh, uh, on a lighter note, do you think you'll see uh, Dubai airport as Dubai airport and not an Indian airport? Because at the moment when you go there, all you see, you know, Indians working there. So. Uh, I, I think you, Dubai, you know, and all the Gulf uh, countries uh, are like the United Nations. Uh, just in, the, uh, in, this, uh, in one hotel, there are people working from uh, you know 50 countries i i think these places will remain uh, multinational multicultural in that sense and uh, they are becoming a little more overtly multicultural as well it's not possible to go into a restaurant in the gulf and not find uh, indian food uh, uh, on the menu it's it's absolutely de rigueur it's uh, uh, you know you get a re you can get a really nice chicken curry there <laughs> so i don't think that you will see that level of change uh, because again for uh, reasons that uh, gulf uh, nationals are not willing to do many of the jobs that people from countries in South Asia or the Philippines or Thailand or, or wherever are willing to do. Yeah. Thank you for this conversation, Neelam. You were listening to the Gatewayhouse podcast. Please follow us on SoundCloud, iTunes, Facebook and Twitter. Stay tuned for more podcasts. Thank you. Mm -hmm.